Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and growers, industry, the science community, and policymakers to hear their news and views on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factum Agri, farmer Justin Stevens joins me to discuss his farming operation and some interesting technology he has implemented on farm. He joins me now. Hello, Justin. Thank you for your time today. Yeah, no, thank you, Angus. It's uh, it's good to be on uh, on the show with you. So you are a Marlborough farmer who farms deer as well uh, as grapes. Can you tell me a bit about your farming business, where in Marlborough you are based, and your farming journey? Yep. So um, we're based around the township of Seddon, which is about 20 minutes south of Blenheim on State Highway 1. Um, it was predominantly many years ago, it was sheep, beef and cropping area. And in the early 2000s, uh, grapes sort of really started to become uh, the predominant uh, crop of choice out there. So over the last 23 years, a lot of the farms have been split up and sold or bought by corporates. Um, so we're sort of second generation parents, uh, bought the farm in 1979, moved up mm. from Southland. Yep. Uh, we were, were sheep and beef and we switched over to sheep and deer around the mid-1980s, um, about the time just pre-boom. Uh, we'd done pretty well on the wool and um, so we invested in deer and mm. I didn't want to end up in an office and um, I would have really liked to have been on the farm straight away but I went away for 12 years and I was a wool buyer Okay. In Blenheim for a, a small company, yep. and um, but we did sort of international orders and real specialty stuff. Um, mm. So that's my background for. Uh, and then I came back. Um, we were looking to buy into some land. Um, we looked and looked around our area, couldn't find anything that we quite liked, mm. and my parents wanted to get out and just sort of ease back on the farming side of things. So mm. my well, she was my fiance then. We bought 180 acres off my parents and um, for a princely sum of uh, probably about $1,500 an acre, I think it was, yeah, wow. back in the day, and uh, about 1996. Um, and, yeah, that, that's all land was worth at the time. Um, and we mortgaged up everything we had mm. and, um, and basically borrowed the money off my parents. And, yeah, we set about farming together, and that went well for – Oh, about five or six years, and then mm. Dad sort of had a few health complications, and um, yeah, I moved back in two thousand and two to the farm full time, and that's when we decided to put on grapes. So yep. we've now built it up to around thirty acres of vineyard, mm. and so it's about just under ten percent of the farm is in grapes, and that gives us half our income, and mm. it's probably more of a, a disposable income that you can spend on. Yeah, uh, but I mean, with that, the the costs are high. You know, hundred and forty thousand dollars for a tractor now, a basic model. Yeah. Um, you know, and sprayers over a hundred thousand dollars, mm. or you can get something decent for thirty five thousand second hand. Mm. So the deer side of things, we run the young deer in the vineyard over the winter, okay. or actually late autumn through till about three weeks ago. Yep. And so they they graze it, and 
initially they'll go in there when the leaf's uh, the fruit has been taken off, but the leaf is still on. So if there's any powdery mildew or any um, residues of uh, bugs or insects, they'll eat them and goes through the digestive system. And once it's hit that, it's sort of pooped out on the ground and the bugs are killed and, um, you know, it's provided a bit of, bit of cover and protection for the deer, mm. a bit of shade and shelter. So it, it works in pretty well. And over the winter, that's when your feed's at your scarcest. So you've all of a sudden you've got 30 acres of, uh, you know, grass that you can grow. So in the vineyard, we sort of have different crops and clovers and chicories and plantains planted in the row yep. as well as grass. So, yeah, it works well for everything. Yeah, good. The deer appear to work quite well with the grapes, obviously being two very different farming systems, but they seem to be working well together. Yeah, yeah, they do. They complement each other. Um, we dropped the, the sheep numbers right back probably about three or four years after we went full-time farming, so mid-2006, and just started upping the deer numbers, um, just concentrating on velvet and, and going for quality. Yep. as opposed to quantity and um yeah the deer they don't quite suit the feed growth uh, mm-hmm. with the hinds so uh, but for the stags it's just perfect country you know you get that early spring growth and by december things are starting to dry off and by then the stags are just ticking over on maintenance feed and the, the mud fat um, come january february yeah so you're getting that you're getting that spring growth, which obviously helps with velvet production, harvest the velvet, and then essentially the stag's job is done for the year, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, you still got to obviously maintain them. Give of course, them a, yeah. Give them a wee, give them a wee bump in uh, mid to late, uh, mid-May, I guess, uh, once I've finished the raw. You've yep. only got probably three to four weeks before that stomach shrinks. Mm. So their stomach actually physically shrinks down to, I think it's about half the size. So you can feed them as much as you want in June. They can still only eat X amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's just the way the um, the biology works of the stag for some reason, mm. <laughs> going to survival mode. Yeah, yeah. I wish, uh, I, wish I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all wish we could. Um, <laughs> can you talk a little, a little bit about technology on the velvet side of things i understand yep. you've been using a technology called veltrack what is veltrack and what is it used for okay so veltrack um sort of came about we've had tags for oh gosh quite a few years now and that was all sort of done through the nvsb or the national velveting standards body and yep. that was a way of um you know if there was a problem or an issue that could arise potentially never has been um we could track where your velvet's gone or who owned it. Um, and the the big push to go to the electronic way, everything was done very manually. I think it was about five, four to five years ago. And you have to sign a VSD, so that's a velvet status declar- declaration form, uh, to say that, yes, I've done this properly, I've kept it frozen, I've handled it carefully, uh, I've you know, done all the things under the RCS, which is the regulatory control scheme. Mm. So my shed's been audited, I've been audited, I have to be audited every year um, just by my vet. And once every uh, probably five to 10 years, it's a bit random, you get a random audit. 
Uh, so we just did that last year and you have another vet comes in or generally another vet comes in and inspects your shed and just make sure you're still doing it all right. Mm. And um, yeah, so it's a way of keeping everything up to date. Um, the big push to the electronic way was sort of through MPI because you could essentially have a consignment of velvet leaving the country and there could be 40 to 100 um, different uh, produces velvet in that one consignment. So they'd have to have all the paper forms and um, to be inspected. Um, mm. So it was just one of those things that MPI sort of said, hey, guys, look, you know, this is not an efficient way of doing it. And if there's ever going to be a problem, it's going to be a nightmare to track. So mm. um, the industry's always been forward thinking. So rightio, we're going to make the leap into the electronic way. Mm. And, um, you know, farmers... A little bit of resistance at the beginning, yep. but as you go on, uh, you can learn to use that technology so you can scan it uh, into other animal tracking systems, um, scan the tags and make sure that those tags have, or that velvet has come off that animal. And so that's the way people can use the technology to link it all together. Mm. So it's not just for farmers, but Veltrack works for other businesses within the industry. Yep, so our buyer, he'll come in. We might have, uh, you know, like a probably two metres by one metre pile of velvet. Yep. Um, and there could be, you know, a tonne there, so there'd be whatever, 200 sticks of velvet, and he can scan that in eight to ten seconds, mm. and it'll pick up all the tags, and then he will probably spend about a minute creating an electronic velvet status declaration form, and... Then once he's left, I will then hop on my computer and sign it and say, yes, this is my number. Uh, yes, I've complied with these four or five different things. And it's, yeah, just so much efficient. And it's yeah. so much more efficient than the way it used to be done. Yeah. Do you know much about the technology in behind it? And who developed the tech? Um, well, the tech technology has always been there. Um, but it's the whole, it's quite a complicated beast. Like the whole system had to be built from scratch. Um, there yeah. would be similar other uh, systems about. Um, I'm just trying to think. We have the, the um, now you get real technical, I mean, we have the ear tags through the NATE, so the yep. National Animal Identification and Traceability. Yep. So that's a different one of them is VHF and one's UHF. Now, I don't quite understand the difference. I think um, I know one of them is a lot more expensive, and yeah, the NATE yeah. tag basically has a wee chip, very similar to your dog or cat. Mm. Um, so it, it's sort of much cheaper technology, I think. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's sort of how it's worked. Um yep. But and was that the, developed? Was that developed by industry here in New Zealand, or um, is that? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So it was developed here, and um, well, they had to set up the system. So there was, um, you know, computer IT people in there, information mm. technology people running around flat out and creating the system. And um, they had to uh, the wands or scanners, I should say, were available. I think they're about two to three thousand dollars each. So to make them affordable, the industry, you know, dipped the old hand in the pocket again mm. and um, sort of made them, you know, by buying in bulk, 
I think they bought him 40 or 50 or something, mm. uh, possibly more. There could have been more. I'm not too sure. Mm. And um, they're distributed out. So the first season, there was a few teething troubles. Um, like like any system, you've got to be realistic. And um, But we, you know, we kept track manually anyway, which yeah. we, we are supposed, supposed to do. And, um, yeah, the, I think out of all of them, some of them uh, did come off. Um, you know, maybe one out of, we used about six or 700, you know. Yep. So we probably had two or three tags fell off. But, you know, in the scheme of things, that's, that's minimal. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Tech, what other ways do you see technology helping farmers into the future? Things like improve efficiencies and sustainability come to mind for me. Yeah, so... We use um, GPS units on our tractors, um, and look, technology's great, but it's got its limitations. All of a sudden, you know, our tractor's computerised. We can set up our FENT tractor. If we've got a post driver on it, we can tell the hydraulics what to do and what speed and what pressure and what flow, so we can save all that data. Um, but we were shut down for half an hour the other day because the computer had a whoopsie, Mm. And um, we don't know how, but it lost all the information, so we had to reprogram it, and we were getting yeah. pretty frustrated. And, I mean, essentially, if you had a manual tractor, you'd just flick a lever. Mm. So, yep, technology's great, but, you know, we, we were shut down for half an hour trying to tell the computer what to do, whereas in the old days, you'd just flick a lever and you'd have full oil flow. Mm. Um, GPS, you know, we can spray crops um so if someone came back to us because we live uh near a township so there's houses on one side of the street and their farm on the other yep and um we keep all that gps data somebody could come and say oh you know my garden's died oh when did it die six weeks ago yeah. oh, okay well we actually sprayed two weeks ago yeah uh and here's the proof you know, mm, um, mm. and we can even go back and look up the wind conditions on those days, and so you, you're sort of protecting yourself in some ways. Mm. Um, but yeah, technology is great, but as I found in the company I used to work for, all of a sudden we had technology, we we're far more efficient, but when it went down, it just costs you know, you had four or five people standing around doing nothing, yeah, because you know, a computer decided to go on the blink or a mm. hydraulic hose blew and you couldn't then operate the machine or a fuse blew. And so you had to fix that and spend half an hour. So yeah. yes, technology is great, but somebody's still got to pick up a shovel and dig a hole sometimes. Yeah, yeah that's right. But it certainly sounds like the old track is, is working pretty well for not only farmers, but the industry. Essentially the- down the down the road, I don't know if you're familiar with like your icebreaker stuff, you know, yep. you can pick up a, a shirt or a jersey and it might say, you know, this will come off this farm. Um, you know, you could pick up a, a velvet product and, you know, essentially it could take you to through via a QR code yep. and you could see some nice pictures of where this velvet was actually produced in New Zealand. Um, that, that's way, way down the track. Um, yeah, well, but, certainly uh, traceability is becoming more and more front of mind for a lot of consumers, particularly yeah. the conscious consumer. They're really taking an yeah. interest in this area, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I think they are. It was um, We saw an interesting article last night about um, people doing the water cremation 
I don't know what you'd call it, hydro something or other it was. Yeah. And my, one lady said, oh, well, you know, I'll put myself on ice till, um, you know, till the high, the technology's there. Yeah. And I said to the wife, yeah, but it costs money to run a freezer or, you know, <laughs> yeah. like they, yeah. they, they forget, oh, I'm doing this to be environmentally friendly. But, yeah, um, you know, you, you've sort of got to weigh it all up. The energy costs to get to the end game is, yeah. is real, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I look, farmers, I mean, probably one thing that hasn't come out and I think they've missed is, um, you know, look, every farmer is governed by the weather. You know, I'll check the weather report two or three times a day. Mm. And, you know, we are affected by the weather. We're affected by all these different things. And, um, you know, so we don't want to see it get any worse. Um, mm. So, look, we've changed technology. We've got more fuel-efficient tractors. Um, instead of doing three passes, we now do one. Yep. Um, so we're not three times as fast, but we're probably twice as fast. Mm. But we're burning a lot less diesel. And um, even our tractor manufacturer can't get over how little uh, our big tractors are using. You know, they might be four litres an air, five litres an air, 160 horsepower tractor. And, um, you know, it's older technology now. That tractor's about 15 years old. But yep. it's all computerised and it tells the, you know, the motor what it should and shouldn't be doing. And when it needs to be easier, it just eases off. So, oh. yeah, those yeah. are the things that farmers are doing. Yeah. And, um, look, there's... There's plenty of challenges in front of farmers at the moment and looking forward. What are the biggest challenges you see or are experiencing either yourself on farm or amongst your peers? Uh, I think the biggest biggest challenge at the moment, and it's also an opportunity, um, is to look at you know your input costs because they've sort of gone up 40% over the last three years. Mm. Um, I, there was a, an economist last couple of weeks ago said that, oh, you know, the consumers are paying now more for meat because, you know, the farm input costs have gone up, but the lamb and beef schedule's actually gone down over the last 12 months. Um, and so people in between are just taking that little bit more. Obviously, you know, fuel and different costs, wages, et cetera. Um, and for farmers, you've really just got to bolt those costs down. Some guys, you know, we're operating as efficient as we can, We've just had one of our staff members leave, so we probably won't replace them. Mm. And that'll help us financially get through the next 12 months. Mm. Um, I know it's, it's not a good thing because you go, well, that person must have been doing something. Yes, they were. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll just survive with contract labour. Mm. Guys are coming today to do something in the vineyard, which would have taken us probably a week to do, and yep. they'll do it by lunchtime. Mm. So, you know, we'll, we'll just pay that money and um, – you know, get us get ourselves back on track. So, and getting like we're all getting a little bit older. Um, yeah, a lot of farmers are. So they're looking for easier ways to do things. Mm. Um, there's a, a great bunch of young people coming in, uh, coming into the industry, and it's very impressive at times when you you're talking to them. Um, you know, they know a lot more than I did <laughs> at mm. their age. Mm. Um, you know, thirty years ago. So. You know, that's the education system working for you. These people, they're real hungry for knowledge. Um, they pick up technology a lot better than I do. Mm. And so they, those are some of the exciting things that are happening in the near future. So, that, yeah, don't don't fear the next generation. They're coming through and they're bigger and better than ever. 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's one of the challenges. Yeah, and you said you're right on input costs. They are, are through the roof. And you're right, the consumer mm-hmm. may be paying more at the checkout for their uh, for their meat, but certainly those prices are not reflected at the farm gate, are they? No, and you can absorb those costs for so long. Um, and I heard one sheep and beef farmer say, well, look, you know, air systems is efficient as it can be, so I can't really cut back much more. Um, and, you know, you might save $1,000 here, but it could cost you three to 5000 down the track. Mm. So you've, you've really got to look at those costs hard and say, well, what, what can I actually cut back on? Interest has gone up, well, you can't cut back on that, but maybe you just don't borrow so much. Or, mm. um, you know, maybe you listen to my wife and you, you don't buy that thing that you probably want, but you don't really need. Yeah. Um, she tends to be right most of the time. So (laughs) that's how you cut back. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Hey, look, Justin, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, Angus. Veltrack is another example of Kiwi farmers improving their efficiencies. And each tag carries a barcode and an embedded RFID UHF chip. The chip and the barcode carry a number that's unique to the tag. Vet practices allocate Veltrack tags to their farmer clients after recording the tag numbers against the farm on the Veltrack website. The tags are scanned by the Velvet buyer at purchase or by the receiving packhouse using a UHF scanner. This process records the tag on the system and automatically generates an electronic Velvet status declaration for the farmer to approve. Farmers do not need to scan the tags, record tag numbers, or fill out a paper-based VSD anymore. This technology enables Velvet to be rapidly tracked up or down the supply chain in response to a food safety or biosecurity issue. If such an issue occurs, DINs can rapidly unlock the system to identify the farm or consignment and contain the risk. The ability to rapidly and accurately track and trace animal food products and to demonstrate compliance with food safety requirements is required by the Animal Products Act and regulators in the industry's largest markets. Because the industry's previous paper-based system could not provide this level of assurance, an electronic system was needed to be developed. Technology is developing very quickly in New Zealand that is continuing to improve efficiencies and strive for a better, sustainable farming future. What is also interesting about the Marlborough region is that livestock are returning to the land after the significant shift to Sauvignon Blanc production, which consumes majority of the region's productive land these days. Justin has his deer graze through the vineyard at certain times of the year. And indeed, when you drive through the region post-harvest, you will now see sheep grazing vineyards at every turn. I love how, in this country, we continue to evolve as farmers and create new opportunities. That's all from me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.